Are you here? If so, here's to you. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. On this episode, we're joined by renowned political commentator, speaker, and author, Will Witt. In just a moment, Will Witt will be discussing his second book, Do Not Comply, Taking Power Back from America's Corrupt Elite, published by Center Street. These interviews are made possible by viewers and listeners like you, so be a helper. Support independent media and the spoken word. Go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do while you're there. We thank you. Hey, I'm ready for Will Wit. Let's begin. Hey, how's it going, man? Good, good. How are you, Will Wit? I'm good. Thanks for uh, setting up the time to do this. Hey, my pleasure. Great, great to talk to you. You too, man. Well, for a lot of you out there watching and listening, Will Witt almost needs no introduction. He is a, a great public speaker. And I've had the pleasure of seeing him live and in person. And he's also a great author. Now, he's written two books. And I must say, this new one, do not comply. You have surpassed your previous effort, which I enjoyed the first one too, but great work, Will. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And where, where was it that you came and saw me speak? Let me think. I believe this was in Alabama. I oh, think it was, it was Birmingham. It was the Blexit event? It was indeed. Yes. God, yeah, I think Birmingham. Yep, exactly. Right, right. And um, so, Will, tell us, what does that mean to you? Do not comply. It sounds so aggressive, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it actually is inherently somewhat aggressive, but I think that our culture, especially young men these days, have lost aggression in themselves when, in a lot of ways, aggression can be used for good. Aggression doesn't have to be some negative thing in the lens that we view it today. Do not comply. You usually think about that and you're thinking about COVID and vaccines and masks. And of course, that's all very important when it comes to not complying. You shouldn't comply with those things. But really, it comes down to anyone who wants to turn you into a slave. Anyone who wants to take away your ability to think for yourself, to think freely, to be able to ask questions, there are all of these people in the media, the bureaucrats, our elected officials, uh, the big corporations, the entertainment industry, science community, all of these people who never want you to ask questions and just go along with what everyone else is doing. And to me, I think that is wrong, even on a, a scale that is not inherently political, just people who are following in the societal norms and the cultural norms of everyone else that are not what we should be doing, not complying is an act of saying, I'm no longer going to live by the rules and the, the cultural lexicon that has been laid out in front of me. I'm going to live a life that is greater, a life of purpose. Very, very interesting. Will, you've had a lot of interactions with people through the years and it's very interesting when I think about that, that I think about, you know, you've gotten to interact with a lot of young people, for example. Do the people who aren't questioning things, are they aware that they are not questioning things? 
That's an interesting question. I don't think so, actually. I think that what what I find in young people today is that there is a yearning for purpose, there's a yearning for meaning or a yearning for adventure or some sort of quest. And they do have that. And I think they're very aware of that. I think that's why so many of them are nihilistic. They feel like life has no meaning and they're searching for something but can't find it. But when it comes to, I guess you could say, more political questions on, you know, who should we vote for and how do these things work and stuff like that. I think that they actually think, for the most part, they already have the answers. I think we have a very entitled generation of of younger people who think, well, I already know everything. You know, I, I don't need to listen to anyone else. I know exactly what it is. These people are oppressed and I'm oppressed and I need to do this. And they're very comfortable in their ways. But none of that is actually giving them the true nectar of life that they really should be going after. What you're saying about people searching for purpose, it kind of makes me think about over the last couple of years, we've been able to view, unfortunately, a lot of footage of especially young people, but not just young people, destroying things, smashing up a Starbucks coffee shop is the famous example, uh, but also breaking the windows of a church or uh, any number of things that almost seem like they're the exact opposite of purpose. But do you suppose that these people are, in fact, looking for some kind of purpose? Oh, 100%. I mean, leftism has come in. I think Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, said it best when he said, God is dead and we have killed him. What happens when you get rid of God and Christianity in the West? Well, then a new religion arises. This is where this religion of leftism comes in, this religion of science and technology, this religion of uh, consumerism, all of these different things that people latch onto. And so these people going and destroying things, these people going and getting paint cans and destroying priceless works of art or going and burning down buildings because uh, of a, a, a police brutality or whatever it might be going and doing these things. They do it because this is their meaning. This is where they derive meaning from. They're not deriving meaning from God or higher power or even, you know, taking accountability for themselves and, and responsibility. They're not doing any of that. They're saying, okay, this is where I gain meaning from for standing up for the oppressed or, or helping black people or, or being an ally to the trans community, whatever it is. This is where they derive that sort of meaning from. So then if that is their whole life and the things that they really believe in, well, then of course they're going to do these ridiculous, stupid, uh, vulgar, and horrible things because that is what gives them a sense of purpose in life. But obviously they're finding purpose in life in the wrong places and those are not conducive to, one, a good society, and secondly, a good self. There's a lot of things working our way back to the book, Do Not Comply. There's a lot of questions that you pose that I think are really astonishing questions, but they're they're very interesting. And one of them, you you bring up the analogy of of a of a boat. You know, this is a, a classic analogy of you know if you replace all the parts of a, a boat, is it does is it in fact the original ship? And you compare that to America. So will. Are we, is this America? I don't think that it is totally America anymore. Obviously, the things that you want to do, you and I can get on this podcast and we have the freedom of speech to be able to talk about the things that we want. And and you have the ability to go get a job and, and drop out of college like I did and live the American dream and, and do all sorts of things. And so there is, of course, a semblance of what America was supposed to be that is still here. But when I say that it doesn't feel like America anymore, it seems like 
that sort of entrepreneurial uh, entitlement principles with the reverence of God within it have really no longer uh, have any sort of stake in America today. Whereas the founding fathers knew that if you were going to have this democracy or constitutional republic, uh, you would have to have a religious and moral people to live inside of it. Obviously, you have freedom of religion, but you would need this religious moral people to to be able to have this to, to, to function. And so now we no longer have that. We no longer have this this objective framework that our country lives on and, and acts on. It is now just kind of like a every man for himself. Uh, how much money can I get? What are the things that I can buy with this money? How can I show people that I am so much more compassionate to minorities than them? Like these are the things that we are worried about today. We're worried about the likes on social media and and getting involved in nonsense political arguments that mean nothing. Like we're destroying each other, Republicans over Trump and DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. And it's like I have I have no sort of hatred for any of these types of people. I have none. And yet I'm getting complete hatred and vitriol from people who are supposed to be on my side every single day. Uh, and and to me, that's just like, what are we spending our time on? It does not feel like the America that is supposed to be helping others with a sense of community where the weak help or the strong help the weak to build them up uh, and do it through the eyes of God. It is now a very selfish and vain and also insecure type of mentality we have. And that is bred laziness and 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 everything we don't really want America to be. Well said, Will. Now, this is kind of a funny anecdote when I was reading Do Not Comply, which I very much recommend that everybody watching or listening, it's, it's a very compelling book. I was taking a break uh, from reading one of the chapters, and I, I turned on the television for a little bit. And it was a funny little coincidence, or maybe not. It was where you were addressing the fact that we are constantly being bombarded with drug commercials, pharmaceutical, you know, prescriptions especially, but even over the counter. And it's just, it's astonishing. So I I was taking a little pause from the book and I I turned on the television and it was just uh, pretty fitting because I had just read your words and then I was got to the first commercial break and every single commercial was some kind of this drug will make you thinner. Antidepressants are a popular one. Um, another antidepressant one, a sexual dysfunction one, and then, you know, whatever. What is going on? Will? <laughs> with the, I mean, that's pretty much the number one thing that is marketed towards us today. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, people always talk about all these lobbying organizations, you know, big oil and, and and the meat industry and all these kind of things like that. It pales in comparison to big pharma and how much they spend. I mean, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars every single year lobbying the government. They're spending $15 billion a year just on advertising. Nine out of 10 of the biggest big pharma companies spend more on advertising than they do on new cancer research. You know, and these vaccines that we took for COVID, I don't know if you put this on YouTube and what YouTube is going to think of the things I'm about to say, but these COVID vaccines, the research was funded not by the the companies, by the taxpayers. And then if something happens to you, you get a damage from one of these COVID vaccines, which a lot of people did because they were wildly unsafe, untested, and a cash grab for Pfizer, which now makes $1,000 every single second of every single day because of these vaccines. And if you have an injury from them, you can't sue the vaccine manufacturer for it. 
You go to the Vaccine uh, National Injury Compensation Fund, and it's essentially a bureaucratic process where the taxpayer is now paying out people for vaccine injuries. It's crazy. You go to a restaurant and you get a burger and you get food poisoning from it. You go and sue the restaurant because they gave you a bad burger that was undercooked. And now you have, you know, you're sick because of it. You get a bad vaccine. No, it's it's now responsible for the taxpayer to pay for it. Big Pharma has more control over this country than people realize. They control the politicians with how much they lobby. They control the entertainment industry. The media companies are all hand in hand with them. I mean, they're spending like most of these big news companies, 70 percent of their ads are big pharmaceutical commercials. You know, that's why they're not going and talking badly about these companies and why no one really knows this stuff, because where are they going to get it when big pharma companies own all of the platforms where we get our news? They are in control of everything. And until we start realizing that and go back to more of a, what I would say, uh, I mean, you can use the word paleo, but I don't know if I'd necessarily use that. But, you know, going back to a simpler way of living uh, without all these these medicinal things that they prescribe us. And of course, uh, there's been all sorts of medical breakthroughs that have helped people. And there's no denying any of that. But they have gone overboard in the sense that it is all about greed and avarice and and trying to to control our lives through the use of these drugs. And it's very Brave New World. I mean, Soma, the drug in Brave New World, is very similar to these antidepressants and things they prescribe people today. Yeah, and we'll we'll have to see which platform <laughs> yanks this or or mess, messes with this video. I, w- I would not be at all surprised. You're tapping into something kind of interesting. You know, it, it, for the longest time, it was always thought of that people who were left-leaning were these granola types. But I hear more and more from people, I get more and more emails from people who are conservatives, who are interested in health, interested in clean living and things like raw milk. It's it's interesting to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, all I drink is raw milk. That's my favorite thing. You know, I squeeze my own orange juice. I got my raw milk, my uh, raw cheese, if I can get it, you know, as much as I can. All this stuff. I mean, it's very, very important for for living healthily and 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 doing all these things. I went to CU Boulder, right? So CU Boulder, there were all the leftist granola people. That is <laughs> for sure. You know, those they hike and they wear their Birkenstocks and they love Marx and they are super granola. So I, those people definitely do exist. But there's been a big turnaround, I think, in the conservative community when it comes to this health style, health healthy lifestyle and holistic measures because. I think a lot of like real conservative people, not necessarily the political conservative people, but like real conservative people are fed up with a lot of the politics and they realize that the things that they're missing in life is not another election. It's not 2024. It's not a new congressman. It's not, you know, local politics. It is, it is, I'm missing health. I'm missing freedom. I'm missing meaning in life. Again, going back to that. And so how do I extract these things from life? How do I live that way? And I think the health stuff is, is and getting away from big urban cities and the left nonsense and all of that is a, a tool to achieve that. You know, I moved out of Los Angeles, California. I lived there for six years, moved out of LA, moved to Tampa, Florida, or actually about half an hour outside of Tampa, where there's like no one around me. I'm out on this lake and I'm basically all by myself, you know, not, necess- not necessarily living in the sticks, but in a little bit, kind of like that. And I'm so much happier being out here and having a great church and having my my good food and, and all of that. And it's like, why people don't just live that way? I don't understand. It's it's so much better. And it's honest, and it's not more expensive. 
it's more expensive to live in, in New York City or downtown Chicago or San Francisco, way more expensive to live there than to try and find land out some somewhere where there's not a lot of people and, and live a healthy lifestyle. But I think people are afraid to, to make that jump. You you have your freedom will, but you're also making the maximum use of it. <laughs> That's great. Um, Th- this question comes from a retired professor and author, Douglas Young, Dr. Douglas Young. It kind of fits in with the way that you deliver information. Well, because all those years of doing PragerU videos, you're very, very good at getting to the facts and delivering just here's the meat of the the thing. So he wants to know, what's the secret to cramming so much important information in just a couple minutes, but still doing so without the delivery appearing rushed? Thank you, Dr. Young. Yeah, thank you. I think it really comes down to, like, look, we did a video a couple of years ago about Napoleon, right? We did this video about Napoleon. Now the movie's coming out, so everyone's talking about it again. But Napoleon was this, I guess you could say, controversial figure. And this new movie doesn't really represent him very well, I don't think. And in the way that we did this video, we were able to showcase in just five minutes how Napoleon actually wasn't someone like a Hitler or a Mao or a Stalin or anything like that. But we did it by just having the most necessary information and just using that. You know, I I think there's a a clear thing right now in America where we don't have like genius role models or or great thinkers and people like that who we used to have. I mean, tons and tons of these thinkers throughout history. We don't really have that anymore. And I think a lot of people really want to show people how smart they are. Like I say this when I'm telling people how to change minds, they're going into arguments trying to prove that they are right instead of proving that the ideas are right because we're so insecure that we always want to show other people how great we are or or how much we know and things like that. But when you take a step back and you do it without pride and you say, okay, this is the information that you need to know. I don't need to come in here and and belabor you and, and tell you how smart I am by showing you all these little minuscule details. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And if you can tell the truth, the parts of the truth that are the most important in a short amount of time, well, that's really all that it takes. Well, what's the biggest thing you learned from Dennis Prager? The best thing that I ever learned from Dennis Prager, I don't know if you'd say learn, but I guess it was a piece of advice. We were on a plane heading back from, I think, San Diego heading to Los Angeles. And I had a speech the next day. It was probably going to be like 10 or 15 people. So a small speech. And Dennis comes up. I say, man, you know, I got this speech. Not really looking forward to it. And he says, well, you need to treat every single speech that you give like it's the most important speech of your life. And that was hugely impactful for me because he said that, you know, who knows the person who's sitting at that table or, you know, at in that room that you're doing that speech of, they could be a kid just like you were, Will, who, who was just, excuse me, who was just in college with no idea what to do and had these ideas and wanted a place to, to go out and distill it. But if you don't go in there with a good mindset and think that, oh, you're above this or something, then obviously it's not that kid's not going to take something from it that you might have taken from somebody else. And so treating every speech like it's the most important speech that I've ever done or, you know, every interview that I do, like it's the most important interview I do, all of these things, you know, it it seems kind of futile. But when you look at the speeches that these politicians give and all this kind of stuff, it's just one after the other. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I've always tried since Dennis told me that to to really honor the people that I'm speaking to or talking to and understand that, you know, 
it, it might not always be the most important thing for me going and doing a certain interview or a speech or something like that, but you never know who you might influence by the things you say or the things that you do. So it's always be- best to put your best foot forward. Very, very wise. So in closing here, we're at the cusp of an election year, 2024. And there's, you know, we can, we can't know what's coming. Uh, but would you leave us with any parting words, maybe a, a, a little bit of hope for our viewers and listeners out there as we roll into another year? Yeah, I think the hope comes from comes from ourselves and from God, really. I mean, what I found is that when you have all this stuff happening around us, that seems so bad. I mean, the politics seems so bad. The the social structures of the world seem so bad. The national things, I, I mean, everything. You look around, you're like, man, this this world is crumbling apart and, and it's in a, in a very lazy and horrible way. But that gives me hope that there are going to be heroes and great people emerge from that hardship, from that... Uh, terrible state that we're in now to try and make things better. I have a lot of hope in the individuals triumphing and, and doing something great. I'm the biggest Lord of the Rings fan in the world. I love him more than anything. Uh, and so I always think of Frodo and Sam in, in this type and, and Gandalf and Aragorn, of course, and how against all odds, against everything and, and insurmountable measures that they had to take, they were able to destroy that evil and make the ultimate sacrifice to do so. And I know our lives are not taking some ring and going to Mount Doom and destroying it, but essentially we should be thinking of our lives in that sense of, of what is our great purpose to, to bring goodness to the world. And if we do that and say, maybe it's not about who wins the next election or, or this bill passing or arguing with people online, maybe it's about being the, the most good person that I can be, then I have a lot of hope for America and for the people who live within it. Ladies and gentlemen, the wise Will Witt. Will, thank you so much. What a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, thank you, man. This was great. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, sir. Well, until next time, I look forward to the next book. Yeah, me too. I got to start getting, getting started on it first. But yeah, next one. No pressure. <laughs> All right. You have a great one. I hope to see you soon. Definitely. Bye-bye. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>